Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, team. Well, good morning, church. How are you? Hey, we're going to continue our worship through giving. If you will, go ahead and look to your left, and you'll find some offering baskets and pass those over to your right. We'll continue to worship through uh, our giving. I mean, can I get you to help me with uh, the podium as well? Thank you. Uh, and while you were passing those along, I did want to give you a little bit of an update on our efforts in helping those in Ukraine. Uh, you guys have been incredibly generous. Uh, over the course of the past two weeks, you guys have raised almost $35,000 uh, that we have been sending over uh, to help. You can, you can praise the Lord for that. I think that's pretty awesome. Um, uh, and, and look, I've been talking to Chrissy. These are some uh, orphans, actually, who are getting moved. They're coming out of the Ukraine to stay long-term in Yash. And so we're praying about uh, something for that. And then do we have that video as well? Uh, so this is in fast time, obviously. Uh, th- these are, they're just very fast. Uh, but this is actually a whole truckload of supplies. Chrissy was able to actually cross the border and get into Ukraine and deliver these to a church there. Uh, and in 19 seconds, they do the entire thing. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so, boom, there you go. Uh, but look, these are some of the supplies. We're trying to do our best to get stuff on the ground with people. And so, listen, I hope you'll continue to be praying for them. I know some of them are watching even right now. Christine, you may be watching after getting done with preaching yourself this morning. Man, we're praying for you and for everybody there. I hope that we will continue to pray. We are gathering medical supplies. Uh, we talked about that last week. You can donate those over here. Check the uh, update, our website, doubleoakcc.org slash Ukraine for updates on that. Uh, but listen, this is going to be a long-term ask. We've got a lot to do. Uh, let's continue to love and serve how we can uh, in praying for everybody in harm's way uh, in the Ukraine. But again, thank you for your generosity up to day, up till now. But now, grab your Bibles, if you will. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be today as we continue our sermon series called The Repenters. Uh, We are learning how to be a repenting people, not people who simply repent uh, at one moment in our lives or two or at certain times, but to consistently repent. Uh, And if you're new with us, welcome. We're glad that you're here today and joining in with us. But for those of you who guys have been with us for the past few weeks, I'd love to ask just how you are feeling. Like as we've been walking through for over a month, how are you feeling? Because hopefully by this point, you're feeling a bit encouraged. We've been learning over the course of this series that we are all in a fight with our flesh, everyone. And so that ought to be at least a little encouraging to know that you're not alone. It's not just you. You're not the only one wrestling and struggling. It's everybody. Look around the room. Every single person you see is dealing with their flesh just like you are. And it's not like they have like, you know, a real small battle and yours is super huge. Everybody is wrestling with their flesh. We are all in this battle together. And so hopefully that is encouraging to you. Furthermore, you now know if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him, you are justified. You are saved. He has saved you from all of your sins, past, present, and future. And so as we go through this struggle I don't ever have to worry about being cast aside. I don't have to be worried about, about God just getting, saying enough, too much. It's already done, not because of what I do, but because of Christ has already done. That ought to encourage us. But it also should embolden us. 
if we have this fight with the flesh and we have this opportunity to grow in the spirit, this is not an optional kind of battle. We are growing in one direction or the other. We are either sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. And so we should be emboldened to say, no, I must become a repenter, a consistent person who looks to the Lord and says, God, I am sorry for what I've done, but I turn towards you. We must become a repenting people that we might continually grow to be more like him. But as we are in the middle of this series now, we need to be asking some practical questions. Okay, what does that look like? How do we actually accomplish this? And last week, we looked at the negative side of that. We learned a really old word called mortification. It means that we are to put our flesh to death. Uh, We do not coddle it. We do not negotiate. We make no provision for the flesh. We literally have to crucify the flesh. We say, listen, we are putting it away. I am fighting against it. We must purposefully resist the impulses, these really strong desires, these lusts of the flesh. But that's only half the story. That's the negative side. This week, we look at the positive side. On the one hand, we say no to the flesh, but on the positive side, we say yes to the spirit, and we do that through spiritual disciplines. If you want to sow to the spirit, we are to do that through spiritual disciplines. Now, most of you have probably heard that phrase before. What are we talking about when we say spiritual disciplines? Well, this is prayer. This is Bible study. This is worship. These are the consistent practices that we engage in. In fact, here's a quick definition of a spiritual discipline. A spiritual discipline is a consistent spiritual practice that helps us live in the spirit. A spiritual discipline is a consistent spiritual practice that helps us to live in the spirit. Because that's the goal. The goal is not simply to do a practice. The goal is to constantly be living in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. It's the spiritual disciplines that help us stay continually in the Spirit. And we know that because we see these actually in the life of Jesus himself. Now, let's let that sink in for just a second, that Jesus had spiritual disciplines. Isn't that interesting? Because Jesus doesn't need to be a repenter. He doesn't have any sins that he needs to repent of. He is constantly in communion with the Father. And yet, when you look at Jesus' life, you see that he had consistent spiritual disciplines. Let me show you a few of them. Here, check this out. Uh, This is in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. It says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He would just leave and go off and be with the Father by himself. And if you read all the Gospels, you'll see this. This shows up everywhere. He's often going off by himself and spending a ton of time with the Father. Go to the next one. Uh, this is uh, Matthew 4, 2. It says, and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Right before he starts his ministry, Jesus does this mega fast for 40 days and 40 nights. So it's a preparation process for that, but he is fasting. Here's the next one. Here's Luke 4, 16. Uh, and Jesus came to Nazareth and when he had, uh, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Notice that phrase there, as was his custom. He always did this. He would go to synagogue on Saturday and worship. That's what he always did. He grew up doing that, but he continued to do that. This was his custom. And then this last one, Matthew 26, 30, it says, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is on the night right before the crucifixion. 
Uh, and you say, well, it just says he sung one hymn. How is that a pattern? Well, notice it didn't say that he taught them a hymn. They just sang it because they already knew it. This was a consistent pattern. The disciples absolutely, along with Jesus, would be singing the Psalms of Ascent as they would go to Jerusalem multiple times a year. They grew up singing, and so it was just natural as they were leaving dinner and going to the Mount of Olives that they would sing as they did so. These are consistent spiritual practices. Now again, why is Jesus doing these? Why would he make it a point to have consistent spiritual practices in his life? Because... He constantly lives in the spirit. He was in perfect communion with the father of constantly living in the spirit. And these practices help him to constantly live in the spirit. And they will do so for us as well. We need to be constantly living in the spirit. How do we cultivate that? How do we live that out and grow in our walk with the Lord? It happens through spiritual disciplines. And so check this out. Here's a list of some of the disciplines. This isn't all of them by far, uh, but a lot of these you'll recognize. There is prayer, fasting, Bible study, meditation, solitude and silence. Those are sometimes linked. Uh, service, worship, confession, and celebration. We could add more. There's Thanksgiving. There's others. But these are some of the major spiritual disciplines that we can practice. Some are inward. Some are outward. Some are corporate. Some are individual But these are consistent spiritual practices that help us to live in the spirit. Now, this morning, I just want to focus on one of these kind of as an example for all of them. So this isn't the only one we're going to look at or or that we need to talk about, but it can be kind of an example for all of the spiritual disciplines. And we're going to look at fasting. And that's why you find yourself in Matthew chapter six, verses 16 through 18. I know it's your favorite spiritual discipline, which is why I chose it. Uh, Matthew chapter six Uh, starting in verse 16, listen to what Jesus says. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not talking to the elite. He's not even just talking to his disciples. This is an everybody speech. He's talking to all of us. And listen to what he says, starting in verse 16. It says, and when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is interesting. He is commanding, I don't know, he's actually just talking to us about the concept of fasting, this practice of fasting. And he is helping draw us into this life with the Lord, a consistent life of living in the spirit. Now, I know just saying the word fasting freaks out people in the West, right? That's just for all of us. That may be a very foreign concept to many of us. Uh, I did not grow up fasting. Uh, I was not taught about it. Uh, we are Americans and just like fasting is not really our thing. Uh, that it's just not. Many of us didn't grow up and we're going to look at that a little more specifically, but, but just more broadly, let me tell you why it's important for us to look at this. There are two main misconceptions when it comes to the spiritual disciplines. Two main misconceptions when we talk about fasting or Bible study or scripture reading or any of these things, great as they are, they are two misconceptions we need to clear away right off the bat. The first one is this, that the spiritual disciplines just work, but they work. And here's something that might sound a little bit odd right off the bat, but the spiritual disciplines don't work. 
They don't. You, you can't just do a discipline and expect it to work. Simply because we do a spiritual discipline does not ensure spiritual growth. And you can actually see that in this passage. Look here. When Jesus is talking about the hypocrites, his complaint is not that they are faking a fast, that they are pretending to fast. No, they're actually fasting. His problem with them is that they're parading it in front of other people. So they're actually fasting, but it's not actually producing any spiritual growth. It's not actually doing anything for them. He'll say the exact same thing right here in the same passage about prayer. He says, listen, if you're just praying on the street corners to be seen by other people, or if you're just piling up a ton of words, thinking it's going to impress God, it's not. You can chuck up as many Hail Marys as you like. You can say the prayer as often as you want. It's not actually going to do anything because the spiritual disciplines don't work. They're not mechanical. It isn't the case that if you just pray X number of minutes, you get Y amount of spiritual growth. They don't work that way. They're relational, not mechanical. You see, only the Holy Spirit can produce spiritual growth. You and I can't do it. We cannot produce spiritual growth in ourselves. Only the Holy Spirit can produce spiritual growth. We cannot produce spiritual fruit in our souls. Only the Lord can actually bring change in us. We can't do it. We cannot control it. And so if that's the case... There's absolutely no reason for pride when it comes to this. There's no reason for pride. We can't say, well, man, listen, you, I've read the entire Bible this year. I mean, look how spiritual I am. Man, I pray this many minutes a day. I mean, look how spiritual I am. Man, I, I brought my Bible. I did these things. I checked all the box on the envelope. I mean, I've done all these different things. And so therefore, I must be very spiritual, right? No. No, we don't get gold stars just because we checked the boxes, The goal of the spiritual disciplines isn't to accomplish tasks. The goal of the spiritual disciplines is to live in the spirit. And so if we're not being relational, if we're not growing, we've kind of missed the point. And so the spiritual disciplines don't work in that they aren't mechanical. Instead, they are relational. Here's the second misconception, though. Well, then I just don't have to. I don't have to do them. All right, Adam, I hear what you're saying here. So I can't produce any spiritual growth in my life. So I guess I just don't have to do anything, right? I'll just wait for Jesus to change me, right? I'll just kind of live my life, avoid all the big sins. uh, And I'll just wait. And one day I will just wake up with some desire to, to kind of read my Bible and to pray and to go on mission trips. It'll just happen. And so I don't actually have to do anything. And there's a certain logic to that, right? If I can't produce spiritual growth, well, then, yeah, I just have to wait on the Lord, right? Well, actually, no, that's not true either. This is going to require some effort. If you want to grow spiritually, this will require effort on our part. Notice what he says here. He says, when you pray. Did you catch that? Or when you fast. In verse 16 and 17, he'll say it twice. When you fast. When you fast. Not if you fast. Not if you happen to fast. He says, when you fast. He'll say the same thing about prayer. When you pray. It's an expectation. He is expecting them to do certain things. You say, why don't I just contradict what you just said? You said we don't have to do anything. (laughs) No, listen, we can't produce spiritual growth, but that doesn't mean that there's not effort involved. Think about it like this. This is very much like farming. We've been talking about sowing and reaping past couple weeks. Uh, Think about a farmer. 
all right? When a farmer goes to try to plant his crop, he doesn't just sow his seed and then wait until harvest. Do you ever notice that? They don't. They, they don't just kind of throw their seed out there and just going, well, I guess I'll just wait. And they just kind of sit there and wait until harvest time, sitting on the porch uh, of the farmhouse. No, man, they are working. But here's what a farmer knows he can't do. A farmer can't make plants grow. Can't. If you're a farmer in the room, I hope I just didn't offend you, but you know that's true, right? Farmers cannot make plants grow. You can't. They have no ability to get in the ground and tell that seed what to do. It is going to do what it's going to do. God brings the growth. The Lord brings the growth. Only the Lord can make plants grow. Farmers have zero ability to make plants grow. But that doesn't mean they're just going to sit around. Here's what a farmer can do. A farmer can make sure that he creates an optimal environment for that plant to grow. He can't make the plant grow. You know what he can do? He can water the soil. He can fertilize the soil. He can protect the young crops as they grow up from frost and from other things and from bugs and from other things. He can't control the weather. He can't control what that plant's going to do. But he can do a lot to create an optimal environment from, for growth. And if that, that farmer spends all that time creating an incredible environment, he's going to see more spiritual growth. He's going to see more of a crop. Okay, that's the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines don't make you grow. They don't force you to grow. It's not a mechanical process, but here's what the spiritual disciplines do. They put you in a place where growth is most likely to occur. When we are practicing spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible study, fasting, meditation, and the like, what we are doing is, is we are preparing the ground. We are fertilizing the soil. We are watering the soil of our own hearts. We are creating the optimal environment where more growth can occur, where there's less room for things to get choked out by by the things of the world. We're creating a better environment. That's what the spiritual disciplines do. And so while we wait on the Lord to do his work, we do our work of creating that environment that he might do that work in us. And so this morning, I want to show you that process and kind of what that's doing in our hearts. But we're going to do that through the lens of fasting. Now, when we talk about fasting, here's what we mean. We're talking about abstaining from food for a certain period of time. That is fasting. Right? So for a day, for a few hours, for a week, for however long, we're saying, hey, I'm going to abstain from food for a certain period of time. And while that does sound weird to our modern ears, this was actually a very common practice in Jesus' day. Jesus clearly fasted. The Jews during Jesus' day had a regular practice of fasting. John the Baptist, all his disciples, they all fasted. Right? Everybody did. This was just common practice. And it wasn't even just the Christians or the Jews. I mean, tons of people, they had a practice of fasting. In fact, for the first 300 years of the church, all Christians regularly fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. All of them. Everywhere. On Wednesdays and Fridays would fast. All Christians. You actually see this in the text. Look in Acts uh, and notice what it says here. Uh, This is in Antioch. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. All right. So they were worshiping and fasting beforehand. And then they fasted some more and prayed to send them off. 
Now, we don't have a whole lot of commands to fast in the New Testament, but guess what? It's in some ways assumed because everybody's already doing it. Everybody was fasting. Everybody knew what to do with fasting. It was just normal. When the church developed the idea of Lent, we're in the Lenten season right now. It changed forms a bunch of times between then and now. But for well over a millennia during the Easter season, Christians all over the world, they would fast from food for particular periods of time and different schemes as they prepared for Easter. This was just a modern, this was just a common practice. Now, today we talk a little bit about fasting from lots of different things. John Mark Comer in his book actually makes this point uh, that you can't actually fast from anything but food. Uh, We can abstain from social media or, or from this or that, but fasting is typically reserved only for Food. And he kind of has a point. Uh, and so I, I think that's probably important for us because honestly, I think we would prefer to fast from other things instead of food. Does anybody else feel that? Almost like it would be easier to fast from other things instead of food. Don't take my food away. Right. And why is that? Well, you and I live in a very consumeristic, uh, me-centered culture. In a, in a culture that's built on consumerism, we are encouraged to consume on a continual basis. We are to have it now, right now, at all times. So the idea that I would deny myself food, it, it just seems almost anathema to us. But actually, that whole process is very instructive. It can actually be very freeing for us. So let me give you three things that the spiritual disciplines do in helping us live in the spirit. Three things that it does. Number one, here's what spiritual disciplines do. They help us identify the flesh. The spiritual disciplines help us identify the flesh. When we practice spiritual disciplines, and particularly fasting, what it's going to do is it's going to help us to see where the battle really is what we're actually wrestling with. We might think we have an idea, but when you start fasting or doing the disciplines, you will find just what kind of fight you are up against. I I remember when I did this for the very first time. Um, Like I said, I did not grow up in a church that practiced fasting. This was not encouraged for me. It seemed very alien and foreign to me. Uh, But in my 20s, I found myself reading a book by Richard Foster called Celebration of Discipline. Who's read this book? All right. I would recommend it to every single one of us. It has always been in my top five ever since I read it. Still is 20 years later. Uh, it's an amazing book. And there's a chapter in there on fasting. And for the first time in my life, Richard Foster wa- really walks through how to do this. Like, what does it practically look like? How do you, how do you get to a place of fasting? Because the only thing I'd read about fasting was Jesus's 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. And I didn't want to do that. Uh, and, and so I'm like, well, I can't do that, but you can start small. And if you've ever done like couch to 5k or couch to 10k, that's kind of what this chapter was. It was like couch to fasting, right? It's like, Hey, you can actually do this. Let's start small and kind of work you into it. And I'm like, okay, wait, that sounds good. I could actually do that. And so I decided I was going to try to fast and I had no idea what I was about to discover. No idea. I just figured that I made my own choices. I decided what to eat. I decided what not to eat. I decided when I wanted to eat. I decided when I didn't want to eat. If you start fasting, you will find out immediately that you are not in any way in as much control as you think you are. All right, now missing a meal, anybody can do that. All right, you miss a meal, it's fine. But when you start to tell your flesh that you're not gonna miss just one meal, you're gonna miss two and maybe three, it is going to rise up like a demon. And you will find out your body has 
ideas about when you should eat and when you were to eat it. I skipped one meal and it was fine. Second meal was like, oh, you were serious? Oh, no, no, no. No, you will eat right now. You will get up out of this room. You will get out there. Why are you not at McDonald's? You get over there. You eat those chicken nuggets. You will love them. You will eat them right now. How dare you say we are not eating right now? We eat every day. We eat multiple times a day. You get up there. How dare you not eat right now? I could not believe it. That was living in me. I thought I was in control. I thought I made rational choices about what to eat and not to eat. And I did not know my flesh drove me in ways that I didn't fully understand. You want to find out what your flesh is doing? Start fasting. And you will find out that it is loud. It is strong. And it's calling a whole lot more of the shots than we would like to admit. You see, when we don't recognize this, this is why we spend more than we should. This is why we eat more than we should. This is why we watch things we say we're not going to watch. This is why we keep doing things we say we're not going to do. Okay, because there's this thing in us that is driving us. Which, P.S., let's talk about that for just a second. When we do things that we say we don't want to do, because we've all felt that in different ways, haven't we not? When we say we're not going to do something and then we do it, what is happening? When we say we're not going to do something and then we end up doing it, what is occurring? Well, it's only one of two things. Number one, when we said, I don't want to do that, we were lying, okay? We just didn't mean it. Sometimes people just want to hear us say it, and so we say what they want us to say. Oh, I don't want to do that anymore. When really, we really want to do that. We're just saying it because we're supposed to say it, but we don't actually mean it. That's one option. But the second option is almost a little scarier. It's this. No, I really do mean it. I don't want to do this anymore. But simultaneously, there's this other desire where I really do want to do this. I really don't want to do this, and I really do want to do this. And what we find out is, is that desire to do the thing I don't want to do is stronger than my desire not to. And that's terrifying. That's the flesh. When you and I recognize, wait a minute, I have the desire to do the right, but evil is right there with me. Okay, you've just discovered the flesh. You have just discovered what is living inside of you. Guys, we might think we've got everything under control. When you begin to fast, read your Bible, when you study, when you come to worship, things get revealed. You might begin to see that things are different than you think they are. I told our class this uh, on Wednesday nights, uh, but I remember also being back in my 20s, I was going to a a passion conference. It was this conference over in Atlanta. Uh, I think it was Atlanta. Uh, anyways, we were, it was 1999. We we're going to this conference, and I, w- I was trying to prepare. And so I just said, Lord, prepare me for this conference. I want it to be this, this wonderful thing. Show me where my sin is. I want to grow in you. I was being very spiritual. Uh, and so I was just praying these things. I said, Lord, just show me my sin. But I already knew where my sin was. I just want to let him know that I knew where my sin was. I was very spiritual. Uh, uh, and, and so, because I'm a young dude, and so your lust is a problem right there, some greed. And so I've got these things in the top five. I said, God, you know, show me my sin. I don't even know, I already know what they are. And he said, oh, it's your pride. I'm like, pride? That didn't even make like the top five. He's like, oh, no, it's your number one. Are you kidding me? No, I know what my sin is. He's like, you do not know what your sin is. Your number one problem is pride. I had no idea. Look, if you're not doing the spiritual disciplines, you're not seeing what's really going on. But when you engage in consistent spiritual disciplines like fasting, you identify the flesh. You begin to see, oh, wait, I really do have a problem with my flesh. Here's the second thing it does. The disciplines weaken the flesh. Disciplines 
weaken the flesh. When you and I practice spiritual disciplines, when we pray, when we read our Bibles, when we come to worship consistently, when we, when we fast, when we do these things, we are in a process. It doesn't happen overnight, but we weaken the flesh as we grow strong in the spirit. Now, let's get real clear about our expectations for just a second. I know last week we said we are to mortify the flesh. We are to put it to death. But let's be honest. We are not going to be able to fully kill the flesh in this life. We can't. Nobody does, by the way. There's been no saint. There has been no person throughout Christian history who has completely conquered the flesh in this life. It cannot fully be done. That will occur when Jesus Christ returns. But in this life, we will always, in some sense, be battling the flesh. So we can't fully kill it, but you can absolutely weaken it. The flesh can be turned from, instead of being this overwhelming lust, this desire, this gravitational pull towards the flesh, you can actually weaken that to where it's just more of a tug. It's just more of a whine. It's just more of a nagging influence rather than the overwhelming temptation that is being given to us 24-7. You can weaken it. Whichever part of your life, whether it be the flesh or the spirit, whichever one you feed, that's one's going to grow. And whichever one you starve, that's what's going to be weaker. And so the question is, are we starving the flesh or are we feeding it? Are we starving the Holy Spirit or are we feeding our life in the spirit? Whichever one we feed, that's the one that's going to grow. Now listen, this is, this is important that we actually deny ourselves, that we do these practices in opposition to the flesh. We consistently fast. We consistently tell our body no. We consistently read our Bibles to grow in the spirit. The reason why this is helpful is because it counters the ideas, the temptations of the flesh. And specifically, this is where fasting is super helpful and why I would recommend it for all of us. You see, you and I believe in an idea that we have been breathing our entire lives. It's so deeply ingrained in us that we don't even consciously say it out loud, but we all consciously believe it. And it is this, I cannot be happy unless I get what I want. I cannot be happy unless I get what I want. The only way I will ever be happy is if I get what I want, which is why we go chase things. I got to have it. In fact, I I don't really have to have it. I got to have it now. I I need it now. If I can just get what I want now, if I can eat what I want now, if I can drink what I want now, if I can see what I want now, if I can say what I want now, if I can just have what I want, if I let my desires, these lusts, if I give it exactly what it wants, that's going to produce joy in my life. And so if I said no to myself, if I said no to my flesh, not only would that be hard, I would be turning myself into a miserable person because the only way I can be happy is if I get what I want. Except it's not true, is it? We live in America. We live in the consumeristic Mecca. Almost in all of human history, almost all of us get whatever we want almost all the time. So how come we're all still so miserable? How come our houses get bigger and bigger? The the bank accounts get bigger and bigger. We get to eat whatever we want, do whatever we want. And yet we still don't have this abiding joy But we all believe in this idea that the only way I can be happy is when I get what I want. Do you know what happens when you start fasting? 
When you start telling your body no, and you say, okay, I'm not going to eat today because I want to invest in my life and the spirit first. I'm not going to get what I want. Here's what you're going to discover. You can have joy when you don't get what you want. It's literally proving to your very body, I can have joy even when I don't get what I want. No one gets everything that they want. You will always have some form of suffering in your life. So wouldn't it be better if I learned that even when I don't get what I want, that I have all I need in Jesus Christ? That he's actually greater than the food I eat. He's greater than, than placating these desires in my soul. Wait a minute, there is a life in Jesus that's actually satisfying even when I don't get what I want? That is an unbelievable spiritual lesson we all need to learn. How do you learn it? By spiritual disciplines. Specifically by fasting. When I tell my body, no. Because please understand, fast, fasting is not going to be like forever. This is for short periods of time. Your body is going to be fine physically, but we must grow to the place where we understand, hey, guess what? Even when I don't get what I want, I can still have complete joy and contentment in Jesus Christ. It weakens the flesh. And we need to have our flesh weakened. So number one, we identify the flesh. Number two, we weaken the flesh. And then number three, we develop a stronger love of the Lord. We develop a stronger love of the Lord. So when we begin to say no to ourselves and we say yes to the spirit in the same way that we weaken the flesh, we actually grow stronger in the Lord. We begin to enjoy him more. We begin to see more of him. Remember, the disciplines are relational. It's not about just accomplishing tasks. It's not just about doing actions. No, when I do these consistent disciplines, it actually helps me to become more like Jesus. I actually grow. I get sanctified. I get transformed. And my very desires change where at the beginning, it's very hard to say no to the flesh. But over time, you begin to grow in your appetite for the Lord and you find the life that is truly life. When you sow to the flesh, you reap death. Well, when you sow to the spirit, you reap eternal life. And the more you consistently do this, the more you see those appetites changing. You really can change. The flesh will not tell you this. The flesh will say, you can't change this. It'll never change. You're going to give in. You know you will. You will always want this. Hey, it's actually not true. You actually can change. I need to admit to something to you, and I'm very sorry about this. I really am. It's hard for me to say this out loud, uh, but I need to commit. I have committed a Southern heresy. I really have. Uh, And I'm sorry to admit this, but I no longer drink sweet tea. I know, I know. Look, it hurts me to say it as much as it does for you to hear it, okay? Really, uh, just part of my Southern heritage just died when I said it out loud. I do not drink sweet tea anymore. I don't. Now, I grew up drinking sweet tea. I've loved sweet tea. Uh, but years and years ago, what I realized was uh, I, I drink a lot during the day. I have a drinking problem. I drink a lot, right? Liquids, just liquids, right? Just, I, just, I drink. From the morning, it's coffee, it starts, and I, just, I drink a lot of liquids throughout the day. And what I began to realize was that I was drinking 700 to 1,000 calories a day just in what I was drinking with Coke, sweet tea, and things like that. 
And so if I didn't just want to balloon up for the rest of my life, I realized I was going to have to cut these out. So I realized I had to make a change. And so I moved from drinking sweet tea uh, to drinking unsweet tea with those zero-calorie sweeteners. I moved from drinking real Coke to Coke Zero, which is my new drug of choice, right? Uh, And I drink a lot of that during the day, uh, but they don't have any calories in them, right? Now, at first, this was hard because they do taste a little bit different, right? If you had told me, you know, 20 years ago, I was going to be drinking unsweet tea. (gasps) I mean, just why? Why would you torture me in such a way? Um, But now, I I actually really like it. I had unsweet tea this morning. I have Coke Zero almost every day, and I, I think they're great. And if you give me sweet tea or real Coke, it is different. Um, in fact, now, if I drink real Southern sweet tea, it is like a kick in the face. It is terrifying how much sugar is in sweet tea. I know some of us came here from the North. Is this how you felt when you had sweet tea for the first time? It is literally somebody like took the jug of sweet tea and just smacked you across the head with it. I'm like, how is this even a liquid? It's like sludge. Look at this. How much sugar is in this? It is terrifying. If I have real Coke, I can taste it. I'm like, wow, woohoo, all right. That is sweet, right? I can't, I can't do it. And furthermore, I don't crave it. Like I don't, I don't just taste it and go, oh, I miss this so much. I'm like, oh, I would die if I drank this. My tastes have changed over time. Okay, that's what happens with the spiritual disciplines. Some of you are thinking, Adam, there's no way I can live without watching this kind of TV show. There's no way I can live without doing this thing. There's no way I can live without by hearing this. There's no way I can, I can live without eating that. Actually, you can. When you begin to live in the Lord, he will transform you over time to love what he loves, to enjoy what he enjoys. You get to reap eternal life in him, both now and forevermore. He helps you grow in your love for him. That's what happens when we sow to the Spirit. This is why we need the spiritual disciplines of prayer, Bible study, fasting, all the rest. We need them. Why? Because they weaken the flesh and they strengthen us in the Spirit. And so if I could, I, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I would really like to encourage you uh, just to really build these into your life. And not just for a day or for a week, but, but literally consistently in your life. So let me just give you a, a couple encouragements here. First off, just choose a discipline. Just choose one, right? If, if you're not doing any, we just need to pick one. Don't pick eight. Don't pick four. Just pick one, and say, hey, I want to grow in the Lord. If you've never tried fasting before, I would honestly recommend the chapter on fasting by Richard Foster in Celebration of Discipline. If you only read that chapter, read that one in the first chapter, worth the price of the whole book, it will walk you into it. Try it. We're in the Lenten season right now. A lot of people doing this right now. Try it out. But if it's not that, pick one. You might already be doing a couple. I mean, add one in and just say, hey, I want to have a consistent spiritual practice that helps me to live in the spirit, I I just need to pick one. And then here's the second thing, be consistent. Be consistent. And this is key. When it comes to the disciplines, it's not going to help you if we do these things sporadically. Just like if you work out once a month, it's not doing anything. That's just making you sore needlessly for no reason. You you just, if you want to see results, you're going to have to be consistent. Now, the trick with this is that you're not always going to want to. You're not always going to want to do the right thing. This is the fallacy. People think, well, if I'm really walking in the spirit, I'm just always going to want to read the Bible. That is not true. 
Well, if I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm just always going to want to pray. That is not true. If I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm always going to want to fast. That is never true, all right? I, I never got there. I really haven't. I, I've been an inconsistent pastor my entire life. This has never been a consistent practice for me, and so, so full disclosure. Uh, but, but look, that's, it, it's hard. But if we're going to see results, then you have to be consistent. Look at this. This is in Galatians chapter 6. We looked at this uh, a couple weeks ago. It says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Now, you may have heard that line before, let's not grow weary in well-doing. You ever heard that? That's like the King James way of saying it. Okay, but look at the context. The context is in the battle of resisting the flesh and sowing to the spirit. That's the context. And what he says is, is that you might get weary. You might get weary in this fight. You might grow weary in this. There are going to be days when we're not going to want to do this, but you will reap. The father will reward you. He does want to help you grow, but we must be consistent. You can't wait until you, you just feel like it. You just have to choose it. And then stick with it and be consistent. Guys, if we just wait until we want to do something, we're never going to grow. And quite honestly, it just says something deeply about us. Look, and this is true in everything. Look, men, if you're going to wait until you want to be a good husband to be a good husband, hear me. You're not a good husband. Wives, if you wait until you want to be a good wife to be a good wife, you're not a good wife. Parents, if we wait until we want to be good parents, to be good parents, we are not good parents. If we only do these things when we want to, we're just following our flesh. But if you and I want to truly love, then that means we stay consistent whether we want to or not. And so we make practices. We stay consistent. Yes, you'll fail. Yes, we will all fail. There'll always be ups and downs here, but we never stay there. We were justified. We're not going to be abandoned by the Lord. And so I can get up again and say, Father, help me to be more consistent. Help me to to do what I can to create an environment that you might do your work in transforming me. But we must be consistent. If you fail, get back up. Keep on going. We must be consistent whether we feel it or not. And here's the third thing. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We rely on the Holy Spirit. Remember, we can't change ourselves. Willpower is important, but it'll never be enough. We'll say it again. Willpower is important, but it will never be enough. Willpower can't get us across the finish line. Willpower cannot produce ultimate change. Willpower can aid us in this journey, but it will never be enough. Sooner or later, we hit the wall. Sooner or later, we get to the end of ourselves. And that's when we can finally begin to truly rely on the Lord and say, God, I I can't do it, but you can. I put my trust in you. Lord, I, I don't have it in me to do this. Would you help me? Would you transform me? Lord, I need you more than I thought I did. I've known that I needed you, but now I see you for, for this kind of growth. I, I can't do it. And so, Lord, I, I need you. And guess what? The Lord doesn't even respond in that moment. He responded when you got saved. He put his Holy Spirit in you. He's already here. 
When you pray in secret, don't you understand your heavenly father will reward you? When you fast in secret, don't you understand the heavenly father wants to reward you? He wants to draw you close. He wants you to draw you closer to himself. And so he will empower us. He will help us. It's not all on you. It's not all up to you. He's helping you. And as you and I rely on him, grow in him, love him, that's where you see transformation sanctification, and we become like him. How do you live in the Holy Spirit? By consistent spiritual disciplines. 